and I went on to the other side of the town where there was this thin edge. And I was like leaning there so precariously, but hey, we're just having fun. So what is the danger? And she grabbed the ball and she threw the ball, but she didn't apply enough force. The ball fell and it was floating in the water. And I just thought, of course I can grab it. And then I leaned forward. And when I tried to grab the ball, it rolled on the surface of the water and I fell in the tank. My guest today is Ingrid Honkala, a marine biologist and former NASA oceanographer, among her many other accomplishments. But more interesting to me, though, is the many near-death experiences that she's had, the first one occurring at three years old. And Ingrid is here to talk about those today. Ingrid, welcome, and thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor, and oh gosh, it's Incredible to be able to be here sharing with you and your audience. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I've been having a great time reading your book, actually, and I wish I'd started a couple of days ago because now I can't put it down. I've, I'm always in the middle of reading three or four books, and now I've started with yours. I'm going to have to finish it, but you've, I've got so many questions because you've lived such an interesting life. I thought when I, as I was reading about your story, it's, you're like a modern-day Lara Croft. Does anyone ever mention Lara Croft to you when they read your story? No, I don't remember that no? they have. Okay. No. Yeah, it's, Lara Croft is a fictional character from a video game called Tomb Raider, which was turned into a movie, and I forget the lead actress. Anyway, that's who you reminded me of, but a, a real one, <laughs> not a pretend one. So how about we start with the time that led up to your first NDE when you were very small, and then we can go from there. Yes. Oh, that was, the, of course, the experience that from that point on, open or I would just say, led me to my path of spirituality, let's call it that way, or, or discovering who I truly was. And we are going to think what you're talking about, Ingrid, when she was close to three years old. Yes, I was a little child when my first near death experience happened. And it all happened in Colombia. I was born in, in Bogota and there I was living with my parents and my sisters and they would leave us at the care of a maid. And she was a, a lady that didn't pay attention to us when my parents were not around. And one morning they left for work and she went to do her thing and my oldest sister and I decided let's go play in the patio and no one is watching. And then once in the patio, we saw a ball and decided, oh, let's play cash across the tank. So the problem about this patio or the scare about it was that there was a, a big tank. And the purpose of this, this big tank was to collect water for hand-washing clothes. And it was like about 900 gallons of water. So it was a big tank. Wow. And she and I decided nothing less dangerous than let's go play in the tank and then because the tank was big we uh, climbed the wall with some stools and then she sat on the flat surface for scrubbing and I went on to the other side of the tank where there was this thin edge and I was like leaning there so precariously but hey we're just having fun so what is the danger and she grabbed the ball and she threw the ball but she didn't apply enough force. The ball fell 
and it was floating in the water. And I just thought, of course I can grab it. And then I leaned forward. And when I tried to grab the ball, it rolled on the surface of the water and I fell in the tank. Imagine, Rod, the first feeling was people have the misconception that because I am from Colombia, I come from hot weather country, but Bogota is very high up in the Andes. That's about, I think Bogota is close to 3,000 meters. It was pretty yeah, that's high. cold up yeah. there. <laughs> yes. Very early in the morning, the temperature in that tank was probably three to four degrees Celsius. Oh. The first feeling when my body touched that water was that sense of this water is pretty cold and the next thing was that oh what is going on why i cannot breathe i had never been in a pool we didn't have a bathtub so i never had the head under the water i didn't know that if you fall in the water you drown didn't know you couldn't breathe so imagine that is scared when, why I cannot breathe. And I am in that state of absolute horror when the miracle happened. I went from that terror just like that to peace. It was peace and calmness and serenity in my world. I didn't know what happened, but I didn't need to escape out of the tank. I didn't need to breathe. I didn't need to go anywhere. It was just peace. And there's one thing, Rob, people always ask me, how can you remember these? Come on, you were just so little. And I said, because there was so much contrast that happened through all the experience. And people say, what do you mean with this thing of contrast? The first thing, imagine going from a state of such shock and horror to that peace. Second, this space was very dark. It was an enclosed tank, it had a roof. It was made of cement. It was early in the morning. So the last thing I saw with my eyes open was the darkness of the space. And the moment I went into the space of calmness and serenity and just peace, light, I saw light that came from below. And this light was like the light of a candle, but it was able to illuminate the whole water surrounding. So it was going from darkness to now there is light. The next contrast is that I lived in a very noisy house. There was sisters and cousins and dogs and birds. And then the last thing also I heard with my, at the moment of that I'm drowning in that moment of terror was my heart beating very loud. And I could hear in my head like boom, 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 boom. And the moment I entered into the peace, Silence, absolute silence. But it was that silence that came with so much peace. I call it the silence behind the silence to the point that this just didn't end there for the rest of my life. After this experience, I craved this silence. 
And later in my life, I would hide into closets under the bed, going to chapels. I was like, I wanted that silence and I didn't know where to find it. So imagine these things are just <laughs> that big, huge about this experience for me. And then this is the other thing. Now I am in the tank, I'm seeing the light, I am experiencing the calmness. And then I started to see bubbles. And these bubbles were surrounded by light. And it was by like, oh, imagine now the child like, like oh, this is what is going on. And it was by looking at these bubbles that I turned around and I saw a body suspended in the water. And when I saw the body, it was like, oh, it was the realization of like, this is my body. But Whoa. it was not the sense of fear or the sense, it was like, oh, like it was more like the sense of familiarity. It was something like, oh, this already happened before. Like it's, it wasn't something that I felt that was very strange to me. And it comes the other contrast. And it was that I was born as a very sick child. And sometimes we will wonder why a child is sick. But in my case, it had a purpose. And the purpose was to be able to experience again this contrast. If I would have come from a body that was experiencing complete well-being, then I don't know the difference. But coming from a body that had been unwell for almost three years, I didn't even know how to feel other than sick. <laughs> and then in this moment, really imagine I am in the state of complete well-being. And I'm like, wow, it's new, it's good. This feels amazing. So the moment I saw that body, I'm like, I'm not going back there. And this is the other thing. <laughs> that one's I, done. <laughs> that, <laughs> and I had the awareness that I could do that, that, oh, I'm not going back to the body. And I turned around and I left the body behind. And the moment I turned around, I started to see flowers. And these flowers were blooming from nowhere. And this is the other thing, like I lost the, the sense of dimension because then now I was picked by the flowers. And the flowers started to just carry me and I'm like, oh. And I said to people is that uh, the analogy is like going back to the womb and you just, you don't have to do anything. You're just being done, being carried, just, oh. And then when I am just in the, this joy, this bliss, in just a bling like that, I appeared in the maid's room where she was listening to the radio. She was listening to soap operas. And I'm looking at her from above and I'm like, oh, that's Maria. And then Maria is so unaware. She's just into her soap operas that she did not realize anything. In another bling like that, I appear in my mom's path. My mom didn't have a car and she had to walk and she was close to her bus stop. And it was like, I would just say maybe about 10 minutes walk. And then the moment that I appear, this is what one, 
validate experience. And two, I think that's what blows everybody's minds away is that the moment rather I saw my mom from above, like they're floating, I said, oh, that's mom. She stopped. She did not give another step. She did not hesitate. And she, it's like she knew at that moment, something at home is happening with one of my babies. And I sometimes mention, and, and I think it's important to mention that she had got a new job. The ego mind or the mind is going to be more settled in, oh, I have to go to my new job. Forget about this mind thing that is telling me to go home. I have to say two things. My mom was a very intuitive person. And second, my mom listened to her intuition. So at that moment, she stopped, turned around, and started to run back home. And then I'm looking at her from above, and I'm like wondering, like, why mom is running? <laughs> and then when at that moment, I just look at the horizon, and I saw a dog. And I love animals. And the moment I felt the sense, I want to be with this dog. Just that desire brought me immediately to be with the dog. And I'm like, whoa. And then I changed my view and I saw a park. And in the moment I have the desire to be in the park, I am in the park. So now I'm like, whoa, this is so much fun. <laughs> and now I am playing this game. And it's when I imagine is that realization that anything I knew about time and of and a space changed and now I could be anywhere at any time and I'm like having so much fun and it's like having fun playing like this game of going places and then when I'm like having fun and playing like in another flash it was like everything in this experience was like in a blink like that I appeared in a realm and this realm was made of pure, bright, intense, shiny light. And that was the first time in almost my three years of life that I felt, oh, I am home. I'm finally home. And it was that sense of, again, familiarity. And home is that sense where you, the place where you feel embraced and you feel welcome and you feel hugged and you feel good. And I'm like, oh gosh, it's so good to be home. And then something amazing happened at that moment. Although I had seen my body suspended in the water, up to this point, I didn't have the realization, clarity, that was not who I was. So... At this moment is when I just realized oh, I am not that body. I am not that. And it's when I realized myself as a being of light. And then it was the sense that I'm still having a sense of self, but it was that feeling of dissolving, melting. And this sense of self even vanish right it was i experienced what i call nothingness and some people get scared with the word nothingness some call it non-self some call it emptiness but 
to not sound scary is I give the analogy of imagine a big stadium and in the middle of the stadium, there's a little box and all you thought that you were was that little box, all your knowledge, all you knew about the world. And imagine at three years old, my box was very small and that's what I thought I was. And suddenly I'm all of it. So it's nothing because it's nothing you knew, but wholeness, totality, connectedness. So I guess the only words I could use, I was and learning and many years later, of course, at that moment, I didn't have any language, but I could say it was a moment of pure consciousness and presence and bliss. And I was just like, Whoa. I would just say in reality, there's no words to describe this. It took me many, many years to just put it together and say, this is what it seems it is. <laughs> See, but it's just, wow. And then when I am in my state of wow, please, my mom finally arrived home. And this is the other incredible thing. We live in a big house and she knew exactly where to go. Because this is the other thing. If she's wasting time going to any other room, the body only can take mm. so much. So my mom, is she knew where to go and she directed herself to the back of the house. And my sister was still there. And people asked me, why your sister didn't go to the maid? Guess what, Rod? We did not supposed to be in the patio. That was out of limits because of the tank. So when you're a child, you have the intelligence of knowing if I go there, I'm going to get scalded. So... She wanted to help me out, but she couldn't. She was too little. And then, like I said, she was close to four. And the moment she saw my mom, she's like, Mom, Ingrid is in the tank and I cannot get her. My mom jumped in the tank. She got me out. Another incredible thing, call it synchronicity, amazingness of life. My mom worked with children and she knew how to do CPR for children. So she knew at that moment what to do because she said when she pulled me out of the tank, I was completely pale. My leaves, my nails were purple. She said, no breathing, no pulse. Mm. She said I was like a raggedy doll. And my mom started to do anything she knew to revive this baby. And But at, that, at this point, I, I didn't feel anything. I was completely disconnected. I was in a world of bliss. And I'm just there. Uh, and the thing what happened is that, again, this experience, everything like that. And in just a blink, it's like I had jumped from the tallest building in the world. And that was that sense of there was nothing I could do to stop this. And I felt like I was being pulled, like I was being vacuumed back. And it was this fall and I started to it was that sense of no <laughs> and I didn't want to come back so once I'm back in the body I know I'm back because the sense of being cold the sense of feeling unwell that illness of the body the sense of like the I lost that freedom the sense of anger 
I don't want to be here and another ex I just say to people at, at this analogy imagine your child is in an amusement park having fun and it's time to go home and he's like you put the child in the car and he's nah you cry you're angry you throw a fit that's how I felt I don't want to be here so it was the fault it was pretty difficult yeah and from there it was that sense of not wanting to be here. And for my parents and for me, it was very hard because I stopped eating. And incredibly, although I was so young, there was a before and an after Ingrid. And I can say this with all clarity because the moment I looked at myself, I said, I'm not this person, I'm not this child. And I would look at myself in the mirror and cry and come to my mom and say, understand mom, this is not who I am. I'm not a child. And then I said, this is not my name. This is not who I am. And I will look at my parents and I didn't, <laughs> it's just, I experienced a sense of oneness. So for me, they were not just my biological parents. I felt them as my equal. And I became very rebellious because I was like, why do I have to listen to these people? And then imagine looking at other people, at other children. I came back with all that awareness. And when I would look at other children, I said, what is happening to these people? They don't know anything. So I couldn't relate. And then it was that sense of, I don't belong. I don't belong here. And the other thing that also validated that this child definitely <laughs> came with other kind of awareness is because like I'm mentioning to you guys, I'm just about to be three years old. And now after the experience, not long after I can read and write, I can resolve mathematical problems. I can put together complex puzzles. I can paint. I developed a more complex language, although I did not have the capacity to explain what was happening. So I was very frustrated, very angry, stopped eating. I, I reached the point I refused to even, I didn't even want to be touched. But thankfully for me, the help that I needed brought him in the most remarkable way. And this way was the other thing that happened is that after my near death, I started to have what we know today as auto body experiences. And then during these uh, auto body experiences, I started to go back to the realm of the light. So oh, I have a space to be, I have a space to be. And although at the beginning, the, it was, uh, I would just say, it felt hard for the body and for the mind because I was experiencing colors, movements, sounds, things that I have never experienced in my human experience, to, to say it that way. And then, but every time I went to that realm of the light, imagine it was like, oh, I'm home. I am home. And the way that they help came is that in one of these journeys, one day I was completely completely surrounded by starlight figures. 
and they were shining in all different colors. And that was like absolutely magnificent. Whoa. Imagine walking outside at night and looking at the most beautiful universe. But imagine this was all a white space with lights shining in all colors. And I was like, and now at this point in my life, of course, they fired that lady that <laughs> let me drown. <laughs> yeah. And then, then they hired a new lady. But I spent a lot of hours sleeping. And if you don't have to take care of a baby because she's sleeping, oh, that's good. So she let me sleep. And I slept a lot. And in, in another one of these journeys, one of these starlight figures that was shining in gold shaped itself into a human form to show me, look, we are the same. And it touched me. And it's when I said, oh, you are a being of light. That's the reason why I call them beings of light. Because as a child, and that's what I saw, a being of light. And then I woke up that day and I'm like, whoa, imagine now I wanted to sleep all the time. I'm like, I want to be with the beings of light. And we need balance, of course. I could not be the child that has left forever. So this balance happened not long after. One day I am taking a shower. I'm very relaxed in the bathroom, taking the shower. When right there in the bathroom, a blue, intense, shiny light appeared. And I'm like, whoa, now the beams of light are here. And although at the beginning they didn't say anything or do anything, just their presence, I started to see them everywhere. And now I just felt this sense of, oh, I, am, I feel good. I feel home. And this is very important, Rod, because many years later, I started to truly understand that concept of home. And it was that realization that, oh, I get it. Because it, I always remember I wanted to go there. I wanted to go there. And once the beings of light started to manifest here, I started to feel the sense I want to eat. I want to play with my sisters. Oh, I feel good. I feel at home. So realizing, oh, I get it. Home is not a place. It's a state of being. And this is the other thing I always say to people when they ask me again, how can you remember if you were so young? I already mentioned all the contrast and stuff. But I always say, with all this, it's like the door for me never closed because I kept having the out-of-body experiences now communicating with being so light. And I always say, for me, the door never closed. It's not the near that and ended there, but it kept going and going and going. And so for many times I kept saying the door never closed. And years later, the being so light said to me, Ingrid, of course the, the door never closed. They said, because in reality, there are no doors. They said what we call consciousness, God, the kingdom of heaven, the light is here for everyone always. We are the ones that due to conditioning, that due to beliefs, that due to experiences, fears, whatever traumas we want to call it, we create layers, we create doors, we close the windows. But it's in us 
to make that decision at any moment to open up those doors again. And then this is all beautiful because now in that state of feeling home, I started to play with my sisters, communicate more, be more of the world. But I was still throwing like big tantrums because I could not relate with my persona. I could not relate with my name. The experience was, it marked my life so strongly and the out-of-body experiences and everything else that I kept feeling, again, I'm not this child. This is not who I am. And like I was mentioning up to this point, I could feel the presence of the beings of light. I could see them. I could smell the smell of flowers. Like, ah, oh, every time they were present, it was like there was flowers blooming everywhere. And the first time I was able to hear them was a day I threw a big tantrum. And it was one night they were calling me for dinner and they're like, Ingrid, come to dinner. And I'm like, that name, that's not my name. I would get aggravated. And then the lady came. Ingrid, we're calling you for dinner. And I said, stop calling me like that's not my name. And she said, so what is your name? And I said, I do not need one. <laughs> Imagine this craziness, right? So I know, okay, you go to bed. Come on, what do you do with a child like that? And early 70s, they didn't understand anything about what was happening to this child. And then I went to bed. I was feeling, of course, angry and sad. And I just started to cry. And it's when for the first time I was able to hear. And it was this sweet, like this compassionate, loving, kind voice that said to me, it's going to take time. Like in, like in a whisper, like to me, it's going to take time for them to understand that names are not needed in the realm of the light. And they said to me, like, you already know. So it was like, oh, I'm not crazy. I know why I don't need a name. So it was that clarity and that understanding that labels are not needed in the realm of the spirit. And of course, Rod, later I understood that names are beautiful, they are needed in our human experience, they carry energy, whatever it is. But at the core of the being, I knew I don't need a name. And that's why later when the, be the people asked me, who are the beings of life, what are the names, what are these, what I said, it never was important to me because I learned to knew them at the place of no name, no label. And this is the other thing they said to me, look, your experiences and the ones that are coming, someday you will share. None of this is for you to keep, but the time will come. For now, you have to be quiet. And for me, it was like, what is not to understand? I mean, <laughs> this is my experience. But yeah, pretty soon I realized they're right, because I, when I would talk about it, it would be like she's dreaming, she's creating a story, especially with children. We're always like, yeah, she's making all this fantasy world. Mm. So people didn't believe, but they say there will be people in your path 
to guide you and to teach you and you will never be alone. And incredibly, it was like that. And the first person who validated that I was seeing things and validated what was happening to me was thankfully my mom. Because otherwise I would have been taken to who knows where to some, oh God, like medication, who knows why, because look at what is this child is is just not okay. But uh, my mom, what happened is that I started to go to school. My mom was also very compassionate, very loving, very caring being. And then when I started to go to school, the Dean Solite told me not to talk about it. Okay, I understand. But they never said not to paint about it. <laughs> you had a workaround. <laughs> <laughs> and I started to paint beans of light everywhere. So it was like I would paint in books and everywhere. And so the teacher being really curious, she's like, hmm, Ingrid, are these stars, the sun? And I said, no, these are my friends, the beings of light. And the teacher like, mm -hmm. she's having imaginary friends. And then she called my mom or my parents, but my, my dad couldn't call my mom, came to school. And then she's showing all these drawings and it's when uh, we also discovered on the conversation between them that about the paintings is later we realized that I could also see for us because all my drawings were painted or us around and then it's when I am so desperate for someone to believe me imagine this child that feels I'm not crazy and, and I want someone to validate me and I looked at my mom and I'm like mom these are my friends the beings of light and these are the colors that we wear and then my mom made this mom face like be silent because she didn't want me to be in trouble. She was a teacher too. And she told the teacher, this is just a phase. We're going to work at nothing is happening. And then we left the school and now I'm like really sad. Like no one believed me. I'm alone in this. And when we are in the, on the way home, my mom said, I believe you. And he's when. She opened up to me and she said, I believe you because I also see things that others cannot see. So imagine, you know, I knew later that I was born in the bloodline that <laughs> I supposed to be born to support my experience because it wasn't just my mom, but in my family, there was a lineage of psychics and mediums. And so my mom uh, revealed to me she could see this thing called spirits since she was a little child, but she has been told never talk about it. So she, in that moment, she said to me not to talk about it. So I, it was like listening to the beams of light. Okay, she's telling me the same thing. And, but the thing is that later in my life, I started to also see what we call the spirits. And it's when I had that realization, I was six years old when I saw the first spirit. And it's when I told my mom, the spirits and the beings of light are not the same. Because when I had the experience with the first spirit, I will not talk about because it's too long, but it's 
written the book, mm-hmm. yep. I went into panic, like serious scare. And then I, that's when I told my mom that they were not the same. And then my mom started to ask me to explain, explain more what is that I was seeing. And when I explained, my mom went into cry and she's, I think that you see angels. And I said to her, mom, I don't know. I don't think they're angels because they don't have wings. All we knew was the Catholic teaching. So yeah. she, but she said, they have to be your guardian angels. So she taught me, she, she, it was beautiful. She taught us to pray and the power of prayer. And then it's when, because I've been talking to the beings of life for a while, I'm like, okay, I better just ask them. And then there was two important questions. I asked them first, I, I asked, what is this with these dark spirits? And I call them dark because I was descriptive. I was a child. I saw them as like a dark silhouette and and because I felt fear so for me it represents something dark and they said to me that you call it spirits you ask in essence we're all the same I was expecting to hear yeah we're all different be aware no we're all the same and they say the difference is the level of awareness that you have about who you truly are. And they said, and some of these beings, they're just not aware who they are and they get very attached to the matters of this world and they lose their way. And it's when I realized that, of course, the fear I felt was because when I was connected with the beings of life, I was vibrating very high. When I encountered one of these beings, it was a matter of frequency. They were just vibrating lower. Mm -hmm. And that's what created the fear. But there was nothing wrong with them. See, so it was now that I had that understanding, that part of thinking that they were bad or anything just went away. And they said, you, all of us can help any being that is lost. Why? just raising our vibrational frequency and and just by knowing who we are. And the other question I asked them is, my mom say that you are angels. Is that what you are? And the answer was, this answer was actually very beautiful because they said to me, we are what you want us to be. And it's when I it's just, it's that realization of the, the the universe is so compassionate that it's going to give us things in the way <laughs> that is good for our growth, that is for our own evolution. So it, it will present in the way, for me at that moment, I was ready for what I was experiencing. So that was the path of my evolution. And later in life, when I asked them and started to learn about ascended masters, I just said, are you ascended masters? They said, again, at the core of our being, we're all the same. And this time they added, the difference is experience and awareness. How much experience you have and how much awareness you have gained through your experience, how much mastery. Is what makes you master. So this is just absolutely beautiful. The other thing, Rod, I want to share with you is that 
my path could not have been the way it is if my grandmother did not come into my life. My father and mother was a very spiritual person because through time I came to understand is not the experience, but the purpose behind the experience. If we just get attached to the experience, there's experiences of everything, then we don't have understanding. But my grandmother brought to my life the understanding. So it was like now she brought to my life a spirituality, depthness. And then she started to, I, she came to visit. She was living in Venezuela. She was not there all the time. She, and she was raised as Catholic, but she started to look for all different ways because she always thought there has to be more. And she joined an order called the Rosicrucian Order. Then she started to just study Hinduism, Kabbalah, uh, Buddhist, the chakras, all kind of stuff. And she brought these teachings. And at the beginning, it wasn't to me because I was little, but she brought it to my parents and I'm there and she's talking and I'm like, grandma's talking like the beings of light. <laughs> and grandma and I became best friends. And grandma at eight years old taught me how to meditate. And I started to meditate. And it's when I had my first Kundalini experience. I woke up in the middle of the night and the whole house was shaking after she taught me how to pray, how to meditate with the Om. Mm. And then from that point on, and I started to have many more deep spiritual experiences. And my grandma brought me books. And by the age of nine, I'm reading the Bhagavad Gita, books of self-realization, books of discernment, all wow. kind of stuff. So it's <laughs> like that opened the path of the spirituality. That was just all complemented. It was just amazing. That's quite a, a reading repertoire for a nine-year-old to have. <laughs> I can remember when I was about, I think I was eight actually, and my mum and dad asked me what I would wanted to for my birthday, and there was this really thick book that was called "Explaining the Unexplained." And I said, "That's mm -hmm. I want that book." <laughs> yeah, and they didn't really blink an eye to their credit, actually. So it's good that you had parents and grandparents that didn't think that was particularly weird. That was all quite normal. That was unlike the being. So I said, these people will be put in your path to guide you and to help you. So I just felt the guidance. But the other thing, Rod, is that maybe when I mention it like this, it all makes seem like easy, but it wasn't. Because even though I was having my grandma, my mother, and I mentioned the abilities, I mentioned all these things, it all seemed too good, but it, in reality, all that also kind of be really good turned into a big burden because I did not fit in the world. I could not relate with other children. At a school, I was being bullied. I, for my age, I didn't know while other children are playing with all different other things. I'm in this other world where I feel I don't belong and I would cry and I would look at, at at the sky and, and ask God and say to God, what is the manual? Why you brought me like this? Why I cannot be like anyone else? And it was very difficult. So in terms of trying to belong, 
and trying to have a human experience was very hard. I could not ground. It, it was very difficult. So is that part where uh, there's a lot of good, but there's also a lot of challenge. And growing up with all these made me just feel very, I would just say, disjointed and separated from the world. And to the point that at the age of 12, I told my grandmother that I wanted to die. I developed existential depression. I didn't want to be here because I didn't feel that I belonged. And then my grandma, of course, is so worried. And for my birthday, my 12th birthday, look at it. Imagine a girl that I am nine years old, going back a little bit, and I'm doing my first communion and my love for God, while for other girls was the dress, the party, the thing. I was honestly, truly, deeply in love with God. So for me, it was like the deafness of it. For me, it was like, now I can just dissolve and disappear. See, and I wanted because... I was in a a Catholic school. I wanted to become a nun because I thought that was it. And then I go to the priest at a school and I started to talk to him and mention things that they didn't understand and said, you cannot talk about fear because fearing God is wrong. God is love. How can you fear the one that loves you the most? The priest at the time didn't understand. He was not there to listen to this child. And he, I, so at that moment, he was mad at me, put me to pray. Those are the words of the devil. So it was that place where I even feel I don't even belong to these people. Mm. How can I become a nun? This is not my path either. So imagine I felt there's no place for me. And my grandmother was so worried. I was 12, about to be 12 for my birthday. She brought me to this little Zen Buddhist temple. And it was unheard in Colombia. It was like this little place in the middle of nowhere because 98% of the population at the time was Catholic. And she, or 95, I don't know, but a very high number. And she brought me there. And then when I entered this place, I felt, oh, I felt that sense of peace. And I was being welcomed. And then my grandma talked to the monk and he taught me this breathing meditation technique. And it was there when I just felt, oh, that sense of home again. And then at the end, I told him, I don't think, and I was so worried, I don't think I can come back because my grandmother is a very busy woman. And it's when the monk turned to me and he said, You never need to come back because you already have a temple. And I said, what do you mean? And he said to me, you are the temple. So wherever you are, you can do this meditation technique. Wherever you are, you can become the master of your own temple. Oh, that was huge. And now is is when I that practice of even and it's when I started to to really feel the importance and the love and the respect for this temple. But again, I was very disjointed from the other people from school, from all the other stuff. And my sisters now is the time where we're growing up, having boyfriends and parties and things, and they were trying to just 
putting me the hair and the makeup and the clothing and Ingrid, you have to belong. And I'm like, okay, I didn't know what to do. And it was very difficult. It, it was hard. So when I started college was the time when I said, oh, I have to be like everybody else. My need to belong was such raw that I was like, I just, I have to feed. I have to feed. If I didn't, I think I, don't, I, I felt I could not just stay here. It was that, that really deep feeling of I need to belong to this world. And it's when I had an experience where I, it's a, all in the book, but I felt like dissolving with the whole going to that space again of wholeness. And then it's when I, the being so light in, in those days asked me if I wanted to teach, if I wanted to do this work of teaching what this spiritual path. And I said, no. I don't want to teach anything. I don't want to do this. I want to be like everybody else. I, I just want to belong. I was tired not to belong. And then I, and the other thing happened when I came back from that very profound experience, I had two questions. I said, when did we stop being one with the whole? And how is it possible to forget who we truly are? And it's when the being so like said, in 20 years, you will understand. Because at this moment, I wasn't ready. My, my sense of wanting to have this human experience to belong was greater than anything. So I told them that I just needed to do my own thing. And that's the compassion of the universe. They said, okay. And then they said, for now on, you will not see us or hear us the way you have been doing it. And people ask me, how could you do things to the beings of light? And I said, how could you leave home when I give the analogy of when you go to college, you leave home and you leave your parents behind. How could you do that? It's the same thing. The, the, the beings of light became like my parents. So my analogy is I left home, I went to college, but your parents are always one call away. Same thing. It's not like I deleted the beings of light from my life. It's like that close relationship I had of being with them right there needed to have some distance and that was needed for me. And I picked a career as a scientist. I, I needed, I picked uh, at that moment marine biology was a career of science. It held me ground and it was what I needed at the moment. And I started to pick friends and the first boyfriend I had were very grounded with parties and life and things that I needed to ground. So that was important at that moment. And, and I think that's what I needed. And the other thing that I said is that I give the analogy of imagine that I was in a room with the lights on and for 19 years, the lights, although I have many challenges related with my inner being it was a different kind of challenges the moment i just imagine i, I put the, the example of a room like this and the lights are on you can see the furniture when the lights are on the moment i left home or i told the being so light bye bye let me go do my life it's like the lights in the room turn off and now the room is full of furniture with no lights. You start tripping with everything. 
So for the next few years in my life, many challenges, big challenges started to happen in my life and a lot of sufferings and it was a very hard and difficult terrain that I had to face after that. Yeah. So you'd foregone that support that you'd had all that time because you felt like you just you needed to do your own thing. And then there was this period where you had that experience that you weren't expecting that you would have, but that I guess that was something that needed to occur. So at what point, it sounds like there was some, obviously there was some reconnection with the beings of light. Was that when you, because I haven't got that far in the book yet, so this is all unknown to me now. Was that when you had your next near-death experience or how did that come about? No, um, when I had my second near-death experience, it was the time where I was already going through, wow, big challenges in my life. I was, you will go to the part where I was almost raped and murdered. The part where I had relationships that were very difficult, I, even relationship of almost just abuse. And then I uh, fall into, after that relationship, it was things were so hard in my life and I had a motorcycle accident. It was like that shook my life at that moment, put a stop in that moment in my life for me to change direction. And in that uh, motorcycle accident, what happened was that I will not tell the whole story. It's, it's too long. It's in the book, but it's, I was fearful of motorbikes because it was my first one. And I was going in and uh, up in a mountain and I was, somebody was sitting behind me, were driving the bike. And then I don't know what happened, but I just, I guess fear of being going up a hill and I just lost balance and we fell. And then when I was going to change gear, I just, the bike didn't jump and I got scared. And then I didn't even know what happened. But next, all I see is that I am standing in the middle of the road. And again, it's the sense of no pain, no fear. Nothing, there was nothing. And I will just already bring it to clarity that this experience has been so important in my life later on when people ask me what happened when somebody, when a, a person you love died in a traumatic accident or in a very bad accident like that. I can tell you with clarity from the experiences of many other near-death experiences that there is no pain. There is no suffering, there is no fear, there is not, none of it. You just, again, is that sense of freedom and home and openness. And it's just, oh, there was not emotions there. That was even at the later is when my mom was, how is it possible? Because it was just none of it. And when I'm in experiencing and I am seeing light and again, I'm walking home is when somebody picked me up in the scene of the accident. And now I can feel a, a body. And it was so scary because at that point, just to that point is when any emotion came into play, fear because I can feel someone touching me, but I cannot see the person. 
And then I started to touch my face because I don't know why I cannot see this person. And I realized that I was blind because what happened is that I did not have a helmet and my head hit the ground so hard that I had a head concussion. And then I was picked, brought to the hospital and only in the hospital, I started to recover my vision little by little. It was a big head trauma. And then being at the hospital with the doctor later is that, imagine the fear of like blind. No, I mean like, wow. So I'm there later with uh, my friend who was, nothing happened to him. And we're with the doctor and he said to me that I lost my vision the moment I hit the ground because I probably at that moment, my optic nerve just disconnected. And I said, it cannot be possible. I said, it cannot be possible because when I'm standing in the middle of the road and I am seeing light and I'm feeling the sense of being home, I'm doing extremely well, I, I see the light. And it's when my friend said, Ingrid, you could not have seen any light because first it happened at night. And second, the road where the accident happened was pitch black. There was mm -hmm. not light. And he said, and second, you never stood up. It's different from my first near death. I, I, I didn't have the awareness that I left the body like that, but I was like I said, you never stood up. So it's when I realized oh, I was seeing the light with the eyes of the soul. And this is another incredible experience because it's the proof that I was seeing with my losing the physical eyes because I was blind at that moment. Show me, look, you are seeing with your spiritual eyes. And from I'm, now I knew because from since I was little, Seeing, hearing, being so light, being in all this taught me, oh, I am hearing with my spiritual ears, seeing with my spiritual eyes. And that was all the later on understanding these abilities and how to work with all this. But that's what happened with that motorcycle accident. And at that moment, I was living in an island and my life was there. And this was the turning point for me to leave the island and go to and move to Europe. And I was in Europe for a couple of years. So this completely changed. This made just a turn in my life. And that's when all that experiences came in the future. I came back to Colombia after being in Europe, moved to a war zone. I was already a marine science, marine biologist. And I went to work with the Colombian Navy, moved to an area that was pretty dangerous. There has been an oil spill and they hired me to do an environmental work in this area as the head of the biology and ecology department for the Colombian Navy. But I was born in a country at war, but it was very different to live in the capital, in the city that was protected than go live in the jungle. Mm. And now I am facing the fears of the war and for three years of my life I didn't know if I was going to be alive next day and one thing I have to say after my two near-death experiences is that after the first two is that I lost the fear of death 
And I have proof of that with other experiences I, I talk about in the book, but it was not fearing dead when I'm, I am in the war zone. It's fearing what they're going to do to you if you get kidnapped, if mm. you get <laughs> what they will do to you, hold you hostage, rape you, you never see home again. It's terrible. So imagine being in this stress for three years. Then finally, in, in all this time, I had the possibility to meet my husband. We in love and then I moved to the United States and here I did my PhD and started to work as a scientist and oceanographer for NASA and then for the Navy and it was in this time of my life that although all these incredible things were happening for me I have been so disconnected now from my inner, so disconnected from the beings of light, so disconnected. And I felt through time for, and you were reading the book, because people said, how can you, <laughs> your book is brutally honest. How could you, because you will read more of, oh my God, how could you write about that? I was like, I had to be transparent because it was a way to show how healing can happen. Because at this point in my life, for many mistakes I made, I felt I wasn't deserving of God. I wasn't deserving of the beings of light. I wasn't deserving of spirituality. And then again, life brought me back to the path. And when I am living here in the United States, I had the possibility to go meet the Dalai Lama. Wow. And I spent, yeah. And I had the, the incredible opportunity to go to India and spend one week in Dharamsala, India, receiving his teachings. So that was like, again, like the door and, and what happened in that opening of the door was that I felt this is contradicting, but at the beginning I fell into a deeper depression, but it was not caused by him. It was because the moment I'm sitting next to him, holding his hand, my mind is like in 10 million places. What can I ask you? What can I tell you? Blah, 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 blah. And I when I said, stop, just stop. My consciousness is when I realize I have lost my way. I am so separated from the truth that I am. And I fell into this very deep depression. I have become really busy. I have become very distracted. I have become also very angry and all the things, the stress, all the things that we see in many people in society, very divided and complaining and all the stuff. And then I fell into very deep depression, but at the end that deep depression and what we call the dark night of the soul brought me to the healing and brought me to the deafness and brought me to what I call a big awakening. And from that time on, depression ended and the book started to happen and then I've been working in service. How can I serve? How can I serve? That's my asking to God every day since that big awakening that I had 12 years ago. And it's just been amazing. And if you have a question there or you want me, I could just go on in like my well, I've got, I've got a couple. 
So the, the first one is, so the, the beings of light, I'm fascinated by that your description of them as a child. Are they sort of part of your everyday life now like they were when you were much younger? Yes. One, once I had my, my awakening, what I call my big awakening 12 years ago, my connection with the beings of light came back and full again. And because I thought about committing suicide, so I was very mm. depressed. And what happened that day is, is beautiful because it was uh, first that realization of give yourself one more day. Give yourself one more day. Yeah. And second, it was that knowing of if you kill yourself, nothing is going to change in reality. Yeah, you leave this shell, but <laughs> you're not resolved. And you have to be little again and repeat a lot of the little part of stuff. And I'm like, oh, God, no, I, yeah, let's see if I can solve it. So it was all that started to clarity come into my head. And I gave myself one more, one more day. And then next day when I woke up, I just received with clarity the message, go look for help. Go look for help. Mm. And I, like I'm saying to you, I was a scientist. I, at that point, I was very busy. I have become very successful. I just thought I don't need help. But at this moment, I knew, yes, I do. So this was the first time that I really went to look for help. And then I look, I went to, and I Googled psychologists in my area, and I wrote the name on a paper. And then I wrote the name on a paper, and then... That very day, I went to the NASA cafeteria, met one of the colleagues, and she said to me that her daughter had a very traumatic experience, and she was visiting this doctor that was an amazing doctor, and that was the same doctor I had in my paper. Wow. In my little <laughs> paper. And then that very day, another person from another completely different place mentioned the same doctor. I'm like, come on, this cannot be a coincidence. It's clear. I'm getting a message. And then I went to meet that doctor. And this doctor uh, is uh, the one that started to help me in that process of reconnection. And, and uh, he told me to write all my sufferings as a cathartic kind of practice. After I was seeing him for a while. He happened to be the right person, very spiritual. And now we're seeing that more and more in the people that practice psychology. And then he was very open. And then I could tell him anything and he wasn't going to, oh my God, this lady lost her mind. No, little by little, I realized he's good. <laughs> and then I can trust him and feel safe. And then when I wrote this list of sufferings and he read it, he's, Whoa. he said, in my 30-something, 30 37 years of practice, I have never seen anyone that has suffered this much and is mentally stable. He said, I'm impressed. And I'm like, but I'm like, what? I never thought I was the person that suffered the most. So I was like, that was a big shock. And I, it's when this question that I've been asking all my life and that we humans, we all ask all the time is came and I said, why me? Why me? And I'm crying. I'm like, why me? And it's when he answered the most incredible thing. He gave me the answer that turned the light on 
the light bulb come in the room. And the answer when I said, why me? He said, why not? Why not? Mm. And then he started to say, look, thanks to this, you have done this. And thanks to this, you have done that. And thanks to this and that. And I'm like, whoa. And I started to type all the notes, all the notes. And I'm like, wow. And I started to find purpose behind all my experiences. And I went from the state of feeling a victim to gratitude. And I also realized that he had been listening and the power of healing when people listen. And I'm like, that was a miracle that day itself. Everything that happened that day was this big miracle because I would say a miracle if a change in perception, my whole perception about my life and my life experience changed. And now I'm in the place of gratitude to the point I'm like, I wouldn't change absolutely anything. All my sufferings are my growth. All my traumas are my growth. Now I can use all these to even be more empathic, more compassionate, more kind, more open, more giving, more at service, because I know how you feel. So it's like, oh my gosh. So this was amazing. And then another miracle happened. This was the moment when I'm sitting there and I'm realizing the only thing that is truth, the only truth is this moment that I'm talking to this doctor and nothing else. Everything else is in my head and I can do whatever I want with this. Imagine the sense of empowerment. I'm not a victim. I'm not the puppet of my reality. I'm not the puppet of my narrative. I became present. And then when you become present, you become the creator of your reality. And then the other thing that happened at that moment is that I discovered the true meaning of forgiveness. And it was realizing that, wow, in reality, there's nothing to forgive because I discovered something that nothing ever happened to me. It happened for me. So if absolutely everything happened for me, then what is to forgive? Everything is being the path in my path. So at that moment, it was this place where I am like, I could tell that nothing needs to be forgiven or absolutely everything was forgiven. And I am just in gratitude. So imagine when I walk out of that office road, I was like walking in the clouds. Then I am sitting in my car and I'm driving my car. And that's when the connection with the beings of light came back full on. And I'm driving my car and it's when I started to feel that. And even beyond that, what we call beings of light at that moment, it was God itself, the light itself. I started to feel that absolutely everything every pore of my being, the windshield, the will, the experience, the light, everything was the light of consciousness. Everything was God. There was nothing that wasn't it. 
And I even had to stop the car. I'm like, whoa. And I'm like, oh. I'm just completely melted in the presence of the divine. And then at that moment, I knew that 20 years had passed. Remember, they said in 20 years, you will understand. But of course, I wasn't counting. I forgot the 20 years. Wow, come on. And then I'm in the car and I know 20 years passed because the two questions that I have asked 20 years before were answered. And the questions were, how is it possible to forget who we truly are? And when did we disconnect it from source? Mm. How is it possible? When, when all this happened? And the answer was beautiful. The answer was one never stopped being one. One never left the source. One just became distracted and seemingly forgot. So that the answer came directly from the light and the connection full on came back. And then, yeah, from that moment on, I just started to work again from the place of the light. <laughs> How can I fully reconnect? But of course, I had a lot of work to do, Rod. And I have dedicated my life from then to using tools for healing. I was diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder, which I now call post-traumatic growth. And I've been using all different tools and ways to heal because the being so light said, your inner child work starts now. And now it's beautiful because I can use all these tools to help other people. So that's just been this incredible path of just growing and growing and growing, evolving, <laughs> feeling layers. <laughs> And from all these that had happened, I think one of the greatest, I think, awareness and experiences between all of these I have had was last year, which experience itself, of course, is I don't wish anybody a near-death experience and I don't want anyone to think that having a near-death experience is good because it's very hard. But last year I had my last near-death experience and it happened during a surgery, but this was finally what have opened the door for me to truly live life to the fullest. And why? Because for many years with my two first near-death experiences, I wanted to die because I wanted to go back there. Mm. It always but was the sense of like, when I am going home in reality, when I'm going to go over there. And in my last near-death experience, uh, one thing that happened before the, the, the experience, I was guided to the right doctors, doctors that were going to listen to me. Because otherwise, I, I knew beforehand that I was going to have problems with my blood pressure. They listened to me. They were monitoring my blood pressure throughout the surgery. My blood pressure dropped dramatically. I went into hypothermia. And when I'm in all this experience of the body, for the first time, from the three experiences, for the first time I was asked if I wanted to leave or I wanted to come back. Oh, so things were getting a bit more serious this time around, yeah. Yes, 
And usually people are asking, it's not your time. You have to come back. In my case, it was amazing. Wow. It was like, okay, you want to stay or you want to go back? And the moment they asked me if I wanted to stay, it was that sense of, oh, home again. Of course I want to stay. This is like a 10 million diamond resort. I want to stay. I want to stay. But when they asked, when the light asked me, or oh, you want to go back? I said, wait a minute, because I have been practicing awareness for so long, being present, being conscious. At that moment, I said, wait a minute, is this a test? And of course, is that also realization? No one is testing me. I'm testing myself. Is, is this a test? I said, because if God is everything and if God is everywhere and absolutely everything is a manifestation of God, so where is here and where is there? I said, no, there is not here and there is not there. So it was the ultimate knowing is only presence, is only consciousness, is only God. Home, I'm at home already, no matter where I am. And then the only thing I said in that moment, look, I am in the state of absolute detachment. There's no judgment. So when you're in this place, it's that sense of, I'm not thinking my son, my husband, my family, if I leave them, nothing. Remember, I am home. So it's the knowing that everything is all right. Whatever is to happen is all right. And then my only answer at that moment was, keep me where I can serve God the most. And it's when... The attachment, the thought about my husband, my son, my family, my sister, all the stuff that need, I needed for anchoring came back. And now I was pulled back on earth. And it's when now I have that absolute knowing I am home. And then from that point on, I started to walk my life of truly living. And it's when I said, it's not about a near-death experience. It's none of that. It's about a near-life experience. How can I use this human experience with all these contrasts, all these challenges, all these diversity and all these things to wake up, to be more aware, to be, gosh, to be more human and divine. So it's, let's use this as an opportunity to remember who I am. And that's where I am now, Rod, and it's just been, it's been amazing. Ingrid, this has been such a privilege for me to hear your story. You are such a great storyteller and the light just shines out of you like nothing I've experienced before. So let's finish up by, if people want to find more about what you do and how you do it, where should they go? 
They can go to my website. I have a, a website, it's ingridhonkala.com. And yeah, and in this moment, I do one-on-one sessions with people. I uh, do talks, mentories. I, I try to do retreats when it's possible, all the possible ways I can communicate with people, all these beautiful videos and podcasts. And yes, and, and in my website, they can find all that information and also I have uh, the media pages and I have uh, a beautiful newsletter that I share every Monday yeah just go to my website okay great and if you've got any final message that you like to leave for people that might be watching this video yes I would love to share with people that one of the ways because people ask me how can I connect with beings of light I wish I could just do what you do I said the way is first learn to calm the mind and second learn to live in gratitude and people say how can i live in gratitude life is so hard and i it's when the beings of life said to me ingrid you don't imagine how great how grateful people would be if they realize that for you to exist Trillions and trillions and trillions of subatomic particles have to be in agreement. They have to agree to be you. You are a divine intention. Remember that. So now every time I see a person, even I see a, 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 this pen, I see a glass of water, I drink this water with that sense of, wow, trillions and trillions of subatomic particles agree to be this pen, agree to be this water for me to drink it. Wow. And somebody that was connected with the creative thinking of the universe thought about this pen. And these atoms are responding to that. Oh my God, this is the way I live my life. How can... Even the little, little things, the flower, the bird singing, the smile in your child, learn to see God. I said, God is playing hide and seek with us. And our mission is to find him. So learn to live in gratitude. Gratitude is the highest vibrational frequency there is. So when you are in gratitude, you are, gratitude are the things that make you feel great, the things you love. So love is a synonym of gratitude. Be in that place of love, gratitude. And you'll find your joy, you'll find your calmness, you'll find a way to talk to the universe, to talk to God. <laughs> gratitude, I remember that. That's a great message. Ingrid, thanks so much for your time today and thank you for being a guest on my show. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm very grateful. <laughs> it's been Thank my you, pleasure. Ron.